Welcome to the Couples Healing Podcast, where you'll get the tools for him to overcome his addiction, for her to find healing from the pain that it causes her, and for you to heal your relationship and come back together. I hope that you enjoy and subscribe. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Today is going to be a special day because I get to have on another guest who I admire, who does phenomenal work. He's another therapist that works with couples struggling to overcome the impact of pornography addiction, rebuilding trust, communicating more effectively. He's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, His name is Tony Overbay. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's also a speaker, an author, a podcast host. He has multiple podcasts. He's got courses, content, resources for people to get the help that they need. He's just like, he's just an awesome person. And I'm very excited to have him on because today we're going to be talking about something that he really, really dives deep in, which is communication. We do a deep dive when it comes to communication and he shares his pillars, his four pillars of communication that can help you know exactly how you can start to navigate difficult conversations with your spouse without getting stuck, without getting in the cycle, without fighting, without starting to feel discouraged and like you're not being heard. The goal of these types of communication patterns is to be heard and understood so you can then resolve the issue that you're facing. And so Tony and I do a deep dive on how you can apply that in your relationship. So I'm really excited to introduce to you, Tony Overbay. Let's jump right in. Tony, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. I know this has been a long time coming and we've had, you know, we keep missing and it's been like a year and a half. So I'm so happy to have you here finally. So thank you for joining me. So what's funny is this is where you are so kind, Sam, because you came on my podcast and I had a blast and that episode has has done phenomenally well. And I even quote a couple of things that you said often, (laughs) often enough that I think I'm starting to take credit for the quotes. Um, And then uh, and then I think there was a time where we set one up and I I literally forgot. So here you are being so nice saying (laughs) we missed signals and that's Sam's way uh, for Sam's audience. Oh, I blew it. And so I was super excited that uh, you said hey let's try again so no thank you, i know Sam. things get busy yeah no it's a pleasure to have you here super it's definitely worth following up because i know that you have a lot to share and so i'm excited to have you for some of the listeners yeah. who might not be familiar with your work i'd love you to just kind of share a bit of background about about the kind of work that you do and just kind of where you are in the process of helping clients and therapy and all of that yeah so i'll make it, i'll make it so fast uh um i could go off on so many tangents but i did I did a 10 years, a decade in computer software, and it was the part where I didn't know that I didn't, what I didn't know that you could actually be happy in a career. I wasn't very happy in that one. I found a little bit of a, I felt called to want to go back to school, get my master's in counseling and work with men. And uh, so I do that while I'm still working in tech, then the tech bubble breaks. I'm a very old man. So like the dot-com boom (laughs) fails. And then I felt like, okay, this is a good thing. And and then I kind of go from part-time therapist to then full-time therapist and uh, all the while still trying to work with men. And this is where I insert the the classic joke of uh, nobody told me that guys don't typically come to therapy. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was something. And then I start um, working for, for the church um, of Jesus of Latter-day Saints and they hand me faith crisis and, uh, and pornography addiction. And I didn't realize that it was almost like, Hey, who's the new guy, you know, we'll give him these things. So then uh, I take those topics and and since I just now love working in those, those areas, but the working with men coming in struggles with pornography um, you know, I went through all the, Hey, behavioral things, sing a hymn, pushups, realize that doesn't work. And then, uh, and then I quickly, I feel like identify these voids. I feel like people turn to things like pornography. Um, it's an unhealthy coping mechanism when they don't feel connected in their marriage or their parenting, their faith, their health or their career. So then I, and this is all I'm making it sound like, and then two days later, I figured all this out, but then I went on this long journey. I never wanted to be a couples therapist. So I go find emotionally focused therapy, EFT to help couples and 
and I identify these uh, Fowler stages of faith and I start working faith crisis and I acceptance and commitment therapy to help people really find their, what drives them for their career and even their health. And, and, uh, and so then I feel like I'm, I'm addressing all those parts, but then that's where I start really actually enjoying couples therapy. And then I feel like that's where then I, I meet you because then I do some training around trail trauma. And I think we met doing the certification mm-hmm. process there. And that's where I, I think you were on your way out when I was coming in and I just yes. thought, man, you know, Sam's got to figure it out because we'd be on some group mm-hmm. calls and I felt like this guy's wise. So then I just think it's uh, <laughs> so you. cool to now come back together years later and we both have podcasts and that's kind of fun. Yes. So I work a lot with couples and I still work with some people that uh, turn to pornography as a coping mechanism. And I do a lot of people that are struggling with faith, faith crisis and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's such like such important work. And it's cool to hear the journey and knowing that there's hope for people to get the tools that they need because you've tried what, you know, it's like, I'm going to try these things. It didn't feel like it works, yeah. but there's other things you identify that, hey, this is really what's helping people. And to see the progress and the change, it's like, it's it's super rewarding. So it's great to hear your background. I appreciate you sharing. You were touching yeah, on if how- If anybody has not heard, well, I guess if anybody hasn't yeah. heard you on my podcast, I mean, please stop, go listen to Sam because- what I didn't realize was then from the time Sam and I met and then we don't talk for years and we got these podcasts. And then I think we connected on even the way we handle couples and the way we handle pornography and the way we handle betrayal. And I really didn't realize, you know, I feel like I was a little, an Island starting to handle things the way I did. And turns out you're in that same path and it, boy, I can't even tell you how much that validated me. And I feel like the work I do. And I think that's why now I bring you up almost like, well, me and Sam, like we think, this, <laughs> you know, so I appreciate what you're No, doing. likewise, honestly, because I know what, when we originally started talking about that, because we do see this very differently. And I know a lot of people use, like you said, more of a behavioral top down approach when really there's so much underneath that drives it. Yep. And if that's not being addressed, yeah, it just takes people forever. And they just like continually feel like they're fighting and battling instead of finding like a sense of freedom, knowing hey, this isn't a problem for me anymore. I'm able to move forward with my life yeah. and not always have this hanging over my head. Yeah. Hey, do you remember, Sam? And I can pull it up right now. And it's, I'm almost embarrassed. This is the quote I want to steal from you. Um, but you said that it's like one of the strongest things in the human personality is to return back to the place where you started. So that was that was me quoting, uh, if you know who Tony Robbins is, that was something oh, yeah. I heard from him that I knew was like, man, that's like so true. That's exactly what happens for people. So I pass that along sometimes when I share with people. Okay. So, cause that, that one, that concept is where, you know, that's the part where I feel like we, we, you and I are on the same page where if somebody's saying, okay, well, I know I'm always going to be an addict, then, um, then they may, they may put together who knows how long a streaks of just feeling connected and present. But then if there's a setback then it's like, see, I'm always an addict. And yes. so I've really ran with that of, okay, what if I'm a child of God? What if I'm a good person? What if I'm a, you know, just a, a human being doing my best, then I can, if I have a setback, then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to return back to my home base of I'm, I'm actually a good person. Yeah. Like that, you know, that just spoke to what I feel like is almost the, the core of the work that I do. So that's the one I try to steal from it's you. Huge. And from yeah. Me. And I'm still, yeah, I stole from somebody else. So there you go. <laughs> but honestly, that's such a huge thing. That just makes me think about, so there's a, a neuroscientist that I started to follow. I don't know if you've heard of him, uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman. Huberman. Everybody, he's, I was watching. He's blowing up. Yeah, he really yeah, is. Man, yeah, man. Like he's got such good info and it's really applicable. I've changed a lot of my, like he, he talks a lot about like uh, sleep and waking up routines. And I started doing what he's recommending. And it's like, it's it's been awesome. Yeah. Um, one thing that he talked about in an interview was called the expectation effect. This is what you just said. Make me think about what he said. There's a study that I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, so I don't even want to get into it. Um, it's it's essentially the outcome is that 
how we expect, oh, maybe I'll touch on it because it's so interesting. And then everybody well, can go YouTube. I can tell you real quick. I, yeah, I just go ahead. have to tell you, this is what's funny is last week, my virtual couch episode is about the expectation effect. And oh, I had wow. my, my intern, Nate uh, Christensen on, and we both read the book, deep dove on it. And I've been, this, so it's funny. So I have- Can you touch on it then? You're going to know it better than I do as well, far as I, like the body changes. Yeah. And the study that I even, there's so many examples in that book. And, uh, and I, you know, it's funny. I start with one of them where- um, the, the expectation effect, the first place I learned about it was it had to do with rats. And there was a concept where let's, uh, people were given, um, let's say there were 20 rats and, and, uh, one group was given 10, the other group was given 10. One group was told these are maze bright rats. Uh, they've been genetically engineered to get through mazes quickly. And the other group was given maze dull rats. And so they were said, these are just your average everyday rats. And then they gave them, I think three days to then train these rats. And this is where my my joke brain goes into the music montage and the group that had the maze bright rats, like they're pushing them and they're, you know, they're giving them Gatorade rub down. Yeah, yeah, like the Rocky scene. The, yeah. And the maze dull, they're like, these rats are horrible. I don't even want to invest time in them. Look at them just like chasing each other, biting each other. And then they, the day of the, the test and the maze bright rats go through the maze, like two point something times faster than the maze dull rats. Yeah. And then of course, then people say, surprise, they, they're just rats. Yes. And so that expectation effect of, of the, the way that what we expect. So then I, I often talk about, you know, do you view your spouse as a maze bright spouse or a maze dull spouse? Do you view your kid as maze bright or maze dull? And then do you view yourself as maze bright or maze dull? So it really is that the you know, that expectation effect of how we view ourselves. And and that book, it's by uh, something Robson, but he, you know, in essence, he's saying that, uh, that it really is that, I think it's a Henry Ford quote that whether you can or can't, you're correct. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and he says that it's more than just the pseudoscience of, you know, in the book, even he references, this isn't the concepts around the book, The Secret, which he said sold 35 million copies where it's like, hey, if I'm going to, if I want a parking spot at the mall, I'm going to start manifesting this <laughs> yeah. now. Like saying these things are all based off of real data. And then, yeah, I don't know if, if that, I, I'm imagining that wasn't the example you were thinking of, but there were so many in there. There are a ton. And I really like how you link that to like, how do we use that, right? Whether it's within our relationships, whether it's with our kids, whether it's with ourselves. like truly the mind is so powerful. Yeah. And like you said, it's not some pseudoscience thing. They've got study after study that demonstrates the effect that that has the way we look at something changes how we approach it which changes the outcome the other study uh, like physiologically there are changes again i'm not going to get all the details right but they gave two groups of people a cup of coffee and they said one coffee or one drink is like really protein rich dense healthy the other one is like this is like high sugar high fat not that good for you they noticed that the people who got the heavy, like the protein, they were told the this the idea of like the protein rich, really uh, healthy shake. They, they physically they were hungry. It took them longer to get hungry than it did yeah. for the people who thought like, oh, this is just like a flash in the pan. It's like a like, quick coffee that's going to be high sugary. Like physiologically, there's changes because again, and the so mind, the, the connection is so it's so powerful. There was and there's that reminded me. There's another uh, example, and Nate and I talked about this on on my podcast, but it were uh, it was with people that. Um, housekeepers in hotels. And then they, I don't know if you remember this one. Right? I've heard of that one. Yep. Okay. Huh? And it was, uh, and it was uh, just saying, okay, if you view that, if they all of a sudden told them don't change anything, but you know, but here's some information that says that uh, the way that you clean these rooms is a form of exercise, then they, they actually were able to then go in and, and note that blood pressure had lowered and cortisol levels were dropped and, you know, more calories were burned just because the people now looked at what they were doing as a form of exercise versus just 
while I'm just cleaning a room. And yes. it's, it's mind blowing. Seriously, honestly. So everybody who's listening, I would really encourage you to check out all of Tony's stuff is excellent. This is in particular, I think something that's very applicable to this kind of a situation. So definitely go check it out. Like you said, it's a virtual couch podcast. Yeah. So, cause I know you're going deep in that. So that was just yeah. one little sidebar that came that's to me awesome. when you were describing that. And uh, I think it's true, right? When somebody identifies themselves as an addict, the implication of that is that this is a lifelong struggle and it really doesn't matter what they do. They're never going to really get past it. They just have to manage it. Mm. I just, I couldn't disagree more with that. It's yeah. just not what I've seen. Like I've, I've seen people leave this behind them once they address really what's driving it. And so you've touched on a little bit of how when people are disconnected, that's a very common coping mechanism for people's disconnection in the marriage. Yeah. And I know that was a part of what I wanted to spend some time with today because when people aren't sure how to communicate in a way that can be successful, resolve any disconnection between them, resolve problems, find closure, repair the past. Like if people aren't really sure how to do that, it's very easy to get stuck so that then they get stuck in their cycle of avoiding and then there's frustration and then more distance. So I'd love to hear some of what you've seen be helpful for couples with regard to communication. Cause I know that's just such a, a big part yeah. of what helps people navigate not only the addiction and the trauma, but like once they get beyond that, life itself needs to be navigated with healthy, effective communication. Okay, I dig that, Sam, because it really is. I so I I think we're both uh, big fans of emotionally focused therapy, the couples yep. model EFT. Yep. And and I did at one point a few years ago. I think I really did go back and try to figure out how many couples I had worked with. And at that point, I think it was over a thousand. You know, so, so I'd like to throw the data in there that man, this has been tried and tested. What I'm about to share, it's based off of emotionally focused therapy by Sue Johnson. And then I've taken that and I've 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 you know called it my four pillars of a connected conversation. Um, yep. And so, and I really feel like why I like what you said is. I really look at it as a framework. It's a framework to continue to come back to as a way to notice where your conversation goes off into the weeds and, and how to at least have a framework to communicate. And, and this is where I tell people a lot that I think none of us communicate well from the factory because of our attachment and our abandonment wounds from childhood and all that yeah. stuff that yeah. when I became a th therapist, I told myself, I'm not going to worry about the past. Like I'm going to live in the now. But then you realize, oh, wow, we bring so many patterns into our relationships and fears and, and worries. And so my, I've got these four pillars of a connected conversation. And so when I have couples in my office, and I think this is really why I started enjoying couples therapy, because I do have a solid framework to go back to. So it's not just the reflective listening, you know, tell me what you hear him say. Well, I hear him saying he thinks I'm a horrible person, you know, and I get to say, okay, sounds good. Like you hear him. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, got it. <laughs> exactly. So, the, so my four pillars are um, I'm going to, I'm going to blast through them quick, but then I want to give you, uh, you, Sam, a, a, a exclusive because I, I've got a pre four pillars that I've been noodling through lately. And I've touched a little bit on my podcast, but not enough. So good. My four pillars are, I, I say that we have to start from this place of, um, assuming good intentions this is my pillar one or, or nobody wakes up and thinks, how can I hurt my partner? Um, and so if somebody does, if somebody isn't willing to connect with their spouse, Instead of me going, geez, what am I supposed to do? You know, pillar one is saying, okay, they're not trying to hurt me. You know, there's a reason why they, they are withdrawn. Or if, uh, if I come home from work and I'm going to some stereotypical, you know, guy comes home from work and, and then wife, uh, you know, throws the kid at him and says, you know, here, you take him, you know, instead of him going, geez, you know, it's like, I have to assume that she didn't say, you know what I'm gonna do today? 
I'm gonna wait till about 5:30. Wait till this guy crosses the threshold of the door, and I'm gonna hit him with the old "You stink." Here's the kid. You know, I'm out of here. <laughs> that'll that'll show him. There's that. So assuming good intentions, or there's a reason why somebody does what they do, and that leads into my pillar two, which is a little bit more of a mindset, which is, and I can't tell this other person, I can't tell this this person that I'm trying to communicate with that that they're wrong, or I don't believe them, or I completely disagree. But here's the kicker. Even if I think or know that they are wrong, or I don't agree, or that is ridiculous, because, and, and you'll start to see that I feel like my four pillars are where you can see where any conversation devolves It's because we've broken one of these. Mm-hmm. So, and then my third pillar then is where we get into some good old empathy. So if I'm assuming good intentions, so let's just give the, the cheesy example of the guy comes home, the wife says, man, you know, I am so tired of this. You don't care about me. I feel like you ignore me. Then he has to, okay, I have to assume that that is not her goal to to hurt me. And then I can't say, really? Are you kidding me? Like, you know, do you, you know, I can't tell him that's ridiculous, even if I'm thinking it, which is going to lead into this pillar three of I'm going to ask questions before I make comments. So instead of me saying, okay, um, you know what? I, I actually have been working very hard and you don't even know, or well, let me tell you what you do first. And then I'm willing to listen. But if I say, okay, Take me on your train of thought. Help me see my blind spots. Help me understand. I'm going to ask questions before then I make comments. And then my fourth pillar is, uh, and then once they feel heard, I got to stay present. You know, I have to lean in. And I feel like that's where people can go into this victim mindset of, let's go back to this example. If the guy says, okay, I, I'm, I want to have this conversation. I'm going to assume good intentions. I'm not going to say that's ridiculous. And I'm going to say, tell me more. Help me understand. Help me see my blind spots. But then if he says, okay, you know what? You're right. Just tell me what to do. I guess I'm just a paycheck. My opinion doesn't matter. Now, all of a sudden he still said, Hey, can you rescue me now? And so, and so I feel like the, in my four pillars, the goal is to be heard. You know, we just want to get through one round of, of in that scenario, she feels heard and understood. And now with that data, now he is going to say, man, I appreciate that. Cause that would be hard if your partner really feels like you don't care, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But then I get to share the, with that data, okay, now here's how I feel. And I stay in the, I feels and I worries, you know, and, and in that, that scenario, I use that one so often, even though I've got so many in my head, but that was a legitimate one where a a guy really did come home and the wife said, you're ignoring me. And it was beautiful because when we worked him through the framework and kept him in this four pillar framework, once he validated that, man, I can understand why, why that would be difficult. And you're right from your perspective, which is your perspective which you are entitled to, I, it must look that way. And then when she felt heard, then he was able to say, you know, I felt like when we had a conversation a couple months ago that you were saying that you're so overwhelmed with the kids that when I come home, it would be nice if I, if I help more. So what this guy was doing was basically running right in, grabbing a kid, going in the backyard, wasn't saying hi to her, wasn't kissing her, wasn't saying, you know, any of that. So then he was like thinking he did the right thing. Now, if he would have just came in and blasted her with, are you kidding me? Like every, you complained about this two months ago. Now I come in and do something and it's never enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's the conversations the way they normally go. Totally. Right. So in that scenario, these four pillars, then I feel like both people now, they feel heard, they feel understood. And I feel like that's like the goal. And we're so, we're so determined to get resolution in, in any moment, you know, and if somebody doesn't feel like their opinion is going to matter, if there isn't a framework for communication, you know, then it, we just stop trying to even have conversations or uh, that are about difficult things. Or when we do, we come in and so hot because we feel like that's the only way we're going to get heard. And then, and I don't, I know I'm just going on here, Sam, but you it's know, I, I feel like, I feel like you probably, I imagine you would see the same thing where, you know, I feel like if couples really don't have the tools that and I feel like almost every week I get somebody coming in and they're saying, no, it, it was, it was a pretty good week. And then I say, okay, 
is good just the absence of bad or is good we really got a connection and i feel like usually yes. it's no, oh, yeah, we no, we just we didn't really. Yeah, argue. we didn't fight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And so I feel like, oh, we're missing it because I feel like that concept of when people don't know how to communicate, when they finally do have a framework to communicate with, then I feel like that growth is exponential, and it doesn't take too long till people realize, oh, if we're gonna play in this this framework, then it's actually I can start going to my partner with anything, or if my partner says, you know, something about, well, you know, how we both think this. You know, then I'm going to assume good intentions. I can't tell them, no, we, nah, no, I don't. I can say, oh, tell me more about that. Validate them and say, man, I appreciate that. Actually, I, I have a little different take. And now if my partner knows, oh, now I have to assume this framework and I can't, that they're not trying to hurt me and I can't tell them they're wrong. And now I ask questions and now we really start to see, oh, we're actually two different people and it's okay to have different experiences. Yes. So, I don't know. I think it's huge, man. I'd love to unpack all that stuff because that's I think that's exactly what happens happens for couples is they get stuck in their cycle. They they yeah. do assume intentions that aren't like they're they're misunderstanding the other person's intentions, their motivation yeah. for doing what they're doing, which would change everything, right? If if like you're in in your example, if dad comes home, grabs the kid, goes outside, in his mind he's like, I'm helping out, wife well, is tired, she needs a break. Yeah. What's that? I'm a, he's saying I'm a hero. Like, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then when he's met with, you know, you're ignoring me, of course, he's going to think like, what are you talking about? I'm trying to do what you need. And now here it is. I'm not doing a good enough job or I'm missing the mark or it's never enough. never enough. And then they get stuck in their hole. Like it just spirals from there. So I think this is like such a good way to condense where these intersections are, where people go off course and the practice like, so yeah, I want to, I want to spend some time with this. I know you said that there's something pre to this as yes. well. Okay. You want to go you. into that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Cause this is still kind of new to the point where I'm saying all that and I'm ready. Like let's, let's four pillar this stuff. Cause I, I was about to go down this whole path of, and man, Sam, and the work we do with people turning unhealthy coping mechanisms. As soon as somebody feels like, Oh, see there, I don't matter. I'm not enough. Then what, what does the brain say? It's like a uh, dopamine bump. Anybody? Right. Like we, let's get a quick one. It'll right. Be the last time, I promise. You know that'll. Yes. That'll, uh, right. 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 So. So. All right. So then. Uh, okay. Can I be emotionally immature? And, and please minutes? do it. <laughs> so it was a few years ago, and somebody had emailed me and said, "Hey, I really think you should uh, look at a concept. It's a concept called nonviolent communication by an author named Marshall Rosenberg." And this was when I was starting to get a fair amount of email, and I didn't get a chance to get back to the person. And and then they replied back a little later, and I felt like they were being a little pushy. And they said, "I noticed you still have not talked about nonviolent communication by Marshall <laughs> Rosenberg." And so, and and I haven't really, I don't think I've told this story. But so then I finally say, "Okay, you know what? Um, Marshall Rosenberg is probably too big of a deal, and he won't come on my podcast. So I'm just going to very quickly Google him. I'll send some email to him, and then I'm going to tell this guy." I tried yeah. and it didn't work. <laughs> I Google him and it turns out, unfortunately, he had passed away about a decade ago. So oh, now okay. in my emotional immaturity, I respond to the guy and I said, try to get him. He's going to be a tough get because <laughs> he's, he's no longer with us. And then the guy was nice and he said, oh, I didn't even realize that. And then I forgot about it. And then uh, maybe three or four months ago, somebody brought it up in my office. And then I said, they, they said, are you familiar with nonviolent communication? And I immediately go into the, by Marshall Rosenberg, who yeah. was <laughs> <laughs> and, and so then I look into it and then it is, it is brilliant. And I feel like it's the precursor to the four pillars. And because he, he says that communication is violent when you are communicating as a way to, in essence, manipulate somebody or to get something from someone or out of someone. And the, and the he gave this amazing example, and I don't think he calls them pillars of nonviolent communication, but there's these principles of it. And so this is the one that I just now feel is the precursor to the four pillars is he says that we, uh, by nature, we make an observation 
And then we we couple it with a judgment just in real time. And the example I think I gave on one of my podcasts was uh, uh, it's the, well, my son doesn't do his homework because he's lazy. I mean, that just flows. And if we, if that's my observation is he's not doing his homework, the, because he's lazy, it turns out is a way for me to try to either make sense of something or manage my own anxiety. So I think in the episode I said, but it can't be the fact. And now my son actually does his homework, but, but in reality, this is real, but it can't be because I stopped helping him with math at sixth grade because he honestly started doing more complicated math than I could help with, or it can't be because I passed along to him my hillbilly DNA. Or it can't be because, no, it's because he's lazy. And then what what is fascinating is then now if I'm saying, hey, champ, tell me why you're not doing your homework. And I've already, I know it's because he's lazy. Now it's almost like I've, I, now I've attacked him with my communication. Mm-hmm. And now anything that he says that is other than, you're right, dad, I'm incredibly lazy. Now I'm sitting here saying, he's not even being honest with himself. And then I think mm-hmm. I gave the example, you know, I know we both deal with, with people with faith journeys, faith deconstructions. And on another episode, I talked about, it's that example where let's say somebody leaves their faith community. It's so easy for us to say, well, they leave, they, they left the church because they want to sin. So the observation is they left the church. The, the judgment is they want to sin because it can't be because they have a different experience. It can't be because my faith community judged them harshly. It can't be because, you know, it makes me feel uncomfortable if they have a completely different experience. So I feel like that observation and judgment thing is is leading the way to my assuming good intentions. So if if he if he walks in and sees the observation of his wife is angry and he makes the judgment of, man, I can never make her happy. Now, all of a sudden, he's going in there like, hey, tell me about your day and anything she says. Like, see, I can never make it goes back. Oh, aha moment goes back to the expectation effect. All of a sudden, I'm viewing her as this maze dull rat Mm -hmm. because of my observation mixed with judgment. And so then, you know, I still feel my, feel like my four pillars are gold, but it makes it difficult. It's like, okay, I will, I will in theory assume good intentions, but secretly I've already made the observation and the judgment. So yes. that, you know, it maybe is harder to lean in. So that's kind of my precursor. I don't know if you have thoughts Great, or man. I, holes in it. No, I like that a lot. Cause I honestly think that that is such, that's one of the biggest levers that I see that influence whether or not the conversation is successful is what meaning are they making out of the yes. exchange? Yeah. Right. So the judgment, like you're saying, the judgment is the observation. It literally could be anything. I, I could, I can give you a thousand examples as well of like these little things that couples come back and say, this is what happened. Uh, let me try to make one specific so we can call, kind of walk all the way through this. I remember working with somebody where, and this is like many somebody's this very common scenario. Whenever there's tension, whenever the wife brings up, let's say she's in pain or let's say she'd been lied to, let's say, uh, after the impact of pornography, of course, she's devastated. Whenever yeah. she brings up her pain, husband shuts down, avoids, doesn't want to talk about it, ends up defending himself, rationalizing, justifying, yep. like all these things that happen when people get stuck. And so when that happens, if the wife were to see, okay, husband's defending himself, that means the judgment is he doesn't care about me. He doesn't care yeah. about my pain. He doesn't want to talk about this. I'm not important to him, which of course is painful, right? Yeah. And so if the message that you're receiving is I don't matter to my spouse, I'm all by myself here. It's going to activate this fight or flight response. Yes. She's going to get either angry and try to protest or break through the wall or get his attention somehow, somehow. which is going to, which is going to influence how he sees it. She's mad. No matter what I do, it's not enough. No matter how hard I try, she's still upset with me. So what's the point? 
I'm failing. So he pulls away because he gets that message. And I think that just is such a big place where couples get stuck is how they're interpreting what the other person's like, where they're coming from and why they're doing what they're doing. Any, yeah, any thoughts you, on that? Oh gosh, Sam, you nailed it. And I actually feel a little anxious because I feel like, oh yeah, when it gets to that point and, and I, this is where I am glad I can go back to the framework or I can, oh, let's, let's get back to the pillars, even though in that moment, I, and and I okay I love this Sam I dig talking to you about this stuff because now I can take you on my train of thought yeah over on my over on my waking up the narcissism podcast a few a few weeks ago I did one on the amygdala hijack and that was the one I, I did that because I had somebody that was coming in and they were saying okay but when I'm when I'm overwhelmed when I'm in my fight or flight response what do I what do I do in that moment and uh, and I mean my first response is typically my secondary emotion of humor because I think my you know first emotion of like I don't know uncertainty or embarrassment is I quickly moved through that. And so I said, oh, the best thing you can do in that moment is, you know, find somebody that has the ability to build a time machine, go back a couple of years ago, start doing mindfulness and meditation so that you don't get uh, your amygdala hijacked, which wasn't very funny to her in the time. <laughs> but the amygdala hijack is so real because once they start, so right, I'm observing and I'm judging. Now that person then observes me and judges me and they both get up in their amygdalas. And when that amygdala is hijacked, um, you can't access the part, the prefrontal cortex part of your brain where all the logic resides. Yes. And so once it goes there, and I think it, that's why I felt like what you're saying makes so much sense because we've been in those sessions where you're not making sense of anybody. And it's almost like when you even try to make that, you know, get them to calm down in the moment, once that stuff is activated, it's not like it's gone in 30 seconds. You know, you can't just say, let's breathe a couple of times. And let's get back to these right. high charge topics. Right. So, so, so I feel like, I, you know, it's funny you say this because now it's been a few weeks where I'm trying to introduce this concept and, and look for examples where they are observing and making judgments. And, and I'm getting a lot of them. I, mean, I was just, I was at Disneyland over Christmas and it's funny how much we do this. So I observe the way that they're handling a, a line, the way they route a line. And my first thought is, okay, this is ridiculous. Like they don't even know what they're doing says me who hasn't been to Disneyland in a few years about the people that run Disneyland, who manage lines every day, who, you know, have it figured out to a science. Or, or, you know, I, I gave an example where my wife and I were walking, there's this neighborhood being built behind ours and they made some man-made lake and it isn't perfectly round. And so this was literally after I did one of these episodes and I said, okay, this is so dumb. The way they designed this lake it has this little inlet and jut. And then I said, well, look at how easy that is. Again, says me who has never designed a man-made <laughs> lake in the neighborhood or been a city planner or, but we do. And so if we're doing it at Disneyland rides or walking around a man-made lake, then when our partner that we feel like we do not feel heard or understood by responds a certain way, and we're making that judgment along with that observation. And then our brain's already routed to say, here we go. Like, let's get that cortisol going. It's, it's go. Yeah. You know? It's and it happens in like a nanosecond. It does like in a yeah. flash. Like literally, they've done research about how quickly the brain moves in terms of perception and meaning making. Ooh, how fast? It's instantly. Okay. It's like milliseconds. It's honestly, it's like less than a second. And that's a good Man. thing, right? That that's that's wired in by design. And if you think about like the origins of that, like if you're in a situation that's dangerous, you don't have 10 seconds to consider, yeah. is this good or is this bad? It's a flash right. of a second. And the brain is going to lean towards danger, yep. which is good for our survival, but it's not good for our happiness, right? Yeah. So yeah. if if my spouse looks at me and her eyes narrow or her brow furrows, my brain is going to think like, oh, I wonder if she's like confused about something it's like oh like what did i do this time 
right? And if yeah. you don't have a high degree of connection and safety and like a, a baseline of that, the brain is going to slant towards the negative to then think it's like, it'll activate the body, this fight or flight response of like, what did I do now? And then naturally, yeah. very instinctively, somebody's going to distance and pull back or avoid. It's like, there's danger there. I don't know what it is. The last thing that I want to do is fight. So I'm not going to approach that, which then she's going to receive as, well, he doesn't want to talk. This doesn't yep. matter to him. And it just, it, it just keeps like firing off those same old, often distorted ways of seeing the other person. Okay. And this is why, man, we, we should have done scheduled a couple hours. Like we're going to have to do parts <laughs> three, two, three, four, and five. Because now I want to go down the path of somebody listening to this and hearing us get all excited and geek out about it. But if they're the ones that are involved and that's, they're saying, yeah, this is how I feel in my relationship. And it sounds like my amygdala is going to get hijacked within a millisecond. And now I'm in a fight or flight response and he's observing and judging. And what do I do? The, the brain, which I think is amazing. And I absolutely mm -hmm. don't have this part, right? I've made my own version of this, but he basically has this concept where he talks almost like this uh, path of enlightenment. Now I think he uses, I can't remember the, the correct words, but, but I kind of go with these, he has these four levels. And the first one is I, I, I reframed it as you don't know what you don't know. And so that's, you don't even know. Then mm -hmm. the second thing is, you know, but now you really don't do because amygdala hijack because deeply rutted neuropathways. And, and I believe uh, the author Rick Hansen says that's a really difficult place to be because you're going to be in there for a while because now, you know, you're aware, oh my gosh, my amygdala might get hijacked. What, what, what were the pillars again? You know, uh, uh, what does it mean? Your differentiation, I'm not doing mindfulness. Do I breathe out first or in first or, you know, and so then it can be like, okay, I wish I didn't even know. I wish I could crawl back in my right. hole, right? And then, and then eventually you now, the third path of enlightenment or awakening is now, you know, and you do, you start to do more. Oh, I'm being a little more present. I was able to stay connected. You know, I was able to catch that judgment that went with that observation. And then he says, eventually you just become, and I feel like this goes right even back to the concepts that we talked about earlier, where when somebody just, you know, oh, I'm an addict, you know, now that they didn't know what they didn't even know. Now they have the tools, but they don't always use them. So they're still in that. Oh, I'm still an addict. Then they finally say, oh, I'm starting to use these tools more than I'm not I'm starting to kind of feel good. And then eventually they just realize, oh, I'm, I'm good. I, I am, you know, I've yes. become. And, and then I think the part that I, I joke about in my own head is, so all the stuff we're sharing, Sam and I are spitting truth and now you're aware. And it's, if you, if you don't remember all these things then you're human, which is a good thing. <laughs> and then, uh, and so then there's this, it's going to take time. And I feel like the thing nobody really is selling is, oh, and PS, it takes a long time because that doesn't sell books. Lots or podcasts of rest. Or yeah. Yep. I mean, and then that's back to the Buddha brain. And actually, I'm going to cheat on this one. I actually had this quote up, but, but this is the, and the other thing, and I'm so obsessed with Sam is, uh, the concept of implicit memory. And I've been using this phrase too often of, so what it feels like to be you. So as you're awakening and you're learning and you're doing, and you're failing and you're, you know, that, uh, he says, much as your body is built from the food you eat, your mind is built from the experiences you have. The flow of experience, and here's the key, some keywords, gradually sculpts your brain, thus shaping your mind. And he said, some of the results are explicitly recalled, like this is what I did last summer. This is how I felt when I was in love. But he said, most of the shaping of your mind forever remains unconscious. It's called implicit memory. And it includes your expectations, your models of relationships, your emotional tendencies, and your general outlook. So kind of going back to our expectation, in fact, and he says, implicit memory, and this is the phrase I dig establishes the interior landscape of your mind or what it feels like to be you 
And it's based on the slow accumulating residue of lived experience. So every time we're putting in a rep, like Sam's saying, we're slowly, we're building a, a, a slightly different uh, residue of what it feels like to be me based off of all the experiences I have. And as I start to give myself grace and my, and I'm a maze bright rat and I'm becoming aware of things I wasn't aware of and I fail and I learn again that over time, a fairly long period of time, what it feels like to be me, somebody who does and is and is more present and has these tools and I don't know. I, I, I think it's so I like powerful. I really, really like that quote. No, it's awesome. That's a, that's such a, it's true because like you said, so much of what, you, if, you know, earlier in the podcast, you said so much of what has happened in the past, we bring into the present and that's not yeah. good or bad. That's just, that's how it is. And if there are things from the past that aren't serving you, that's where it's worth reevaluating and seeing how do I challenge some of this stuff? How do I work through this? How do I release this? How do I make sense of this differently? Because by doing that, now you have a new way to approach what's happening in the present moment, because all of these experiences do create, I like that phrase, the inner landscape of how we see the world. Right. And based off of slow residue of lived experience, slow residue. And I go back to the quote that you, uh, that Tony Robbins copied off of you, that then, you know, when we go back to that, uh, you know, that that's, I feel like the, what it feels like to be me. If I can slowly shift that from, oh, I'm an addict to, oh, I'm, I'm a human. Uh, yes. I'm actually pretty good or I'm a guy who tries, then, then if I don't always nail it, but it's like, what it feels like to be me is a guy that tries or that's going to learn or a guy that's continually, you know, and then I feel like that helps when we start looking at the, the whole thing. We do a whole other episode on of the need for external validation. Cause then all of a sudden, am I doing it because I'm still wanting somebody to tell me that I'm, I'm doing okay. Or do I just start to know that I'm okay? Mm. Because then if somebody says, well, I don't think you're doing it very well. You know, then it's like, oh, I appreciate that. And now I'm willing to, I'll, I'll take a look at what you have to offer, you know, from, uh, but I know that I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm the only version of me, you know, then that, that starts to, I feel like that's where some serious change occurs. hundred percent. I agree with that. And so if we take the last little bit here and kind of go into when things, cause I think these pillars are like solid and this is like, I don't know. I think about these like intersections, right? Where you can go off course or you've got these different points where you can stay on course and keep going to the next part of it. Ultimately, like you said, the goal is to be heard. Right. And once you're heard, then you can like work together then you can solve anything. It doesn't really matter yeah. what it is. If you know what to do and how to do it, it doesn't matter what the content is about parenting, about intimacy, about exactly. cooking, about like the content doesn't matter. It's not why couples get stuck is that they get disconnected along the way and any of these pillars break down. And so I'm wondering, is there any pillar in particular that you find being more influential than others? Because when, or like more common where there are yeah. breakdowns, and then what can somebody do in those moments instead of it breaking down? How can they approach that differently? Okay. Uh, Sam, as fellow therapist, will you workshop this with me? Because I do think about this often. So I love to go, I'll, I'll typically, when I'm speaking about this, I'll, I'll kind of do a little bit of gender stereotype. And I will say that often I find that uh, maybe the feminine it has more of a, a challenge with the assuming good intentions. So pillar one, because a lot of us men are, we're hunter gatherers or, I mean, we're the hunters, we're the fixers, we're the don't worry about it, where they get over it, which yep. leads, tends to lead to a feeling a little bit more impulsive, you know, a little bit more when, and when I'm feeling good, everybody's happy when I'm down, you know, mm -hmm. don't bother me. So so I feel like that can be really difficult for a, a wife in particular to assume that he's not a good intentions or, or he's not trying to hurt me. 
And, and so, you know, I, I, I think I alluded a little bit earlier to this other podcast I have called waking up the narcissism that I could talk for days about that because I work so much with the world of emotional immaturity mm -hmm. now, narcissism is thrown around like crazy, but really sure. we're, we're all emotionally immature until we're not. Yes. But I feel like in that realm, I've had, I've added into my four pillars, I've almost added a one B. So I've got assuming good intentions or, you know, the person isn't trying to hurt you, or there's a reason why they're doing what they do. So I feel like it, it that pillar one is probably the best place to start, you know, I, and I wasn't like, that's why it's pillar one. I mean, I didn't, you know, but I, but I really feel like if we can even just start to what it feels like to be us in our, the interior landscape of our mind is even start to just assume in our head that there's a reason why, like if this person is always yelling that not that I have to forgive it, not that I have to like, okay, I guess I just have to deal with it. But it's like, man, that person must, that must be the only way they felt like they were ever heard as a kid, or they need, they, they, they feel like such a lack of control in their lives that they, they can only feel like they can get it with anger. And again, it doesn't mean that I have to now go subject myself to that verbal abuse, but right. that pillar one, I think will help just start to really take a different look at the relationship or for the guy, if, if his wife feels often withdrawn, because man, we talk about this too. I feel like most couples almost end up falling into this guy as the anxious attachment, you know, Hey, is, are we cool? Are we good? Everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and if it was, uh-huh. But then 10 minutes later, if she's not jumping up and down, he's like, are you sure? Like, did I do anything right. or, you know? And then, and so I feel like that same thing where if the guy sees the wife more avoidant, that he has to look and say, okay, she's not doing that because she hates me. There must be a reason why. So I feel like that pillar one is super important. And then my other joke I make is the guys are really bad at pillar four. Like, and that's, and honestly, earlier when I said this example, I can get a guy to, I mean, I just did this at Christmas. I mean, I, it's not like we have perfected this, but where, oh, I'm assuming good intentions with everybody. And, and I'm not going to tell people they're wrong because they've got their own experience and that's awesome. And I want to, that leads me to pillar three and tell me more, you guys. And I want to understand, but then all of a sudden we overspent on Christmas. And then I'm like, and I guess I'm a walking piggy bank, you know, <laughs> and it was all I could do to not say that because then I want everybody to go, no, you're the best dad, you know, you're right. whatever. And, and I, oh, I almost said that 500 times, Sam, you know, so I'm like, doggone it, my own pillars, you know, and I wanted to smash four to the ground and throw an ass and say, okay, but if you do overspend at Disneyland, you know, then it's okay for the guy to be a victim, you know, and it's not. So that's like where I see that that's like one of the hardest ones. And and honestly, the pillar three questions before comments is really hard. And, and if I can just tell you the worst, best example of this was a couple I was working with. We're working on these pillars. And then uh, they had a little bit of an, an agreement where the guy was going to come home from work. The wife was going to have some things done that day. And this is, uh, you know, it's just so unfortunate, but he does come home. She's on her phone, you know, which is a trigger for him. And and so he assumes all these bad things. He wasn't four pillar at all. And then he's like, oh, okay, I guess, uh, I guess you, you don't have to do anything today. And, and she had had someone pass away that morning and she's looking through her phone to find pictures from Memorial. So had he walked in the door and assumed, okay, good intentions. And I'm, and I'm already got a mindset that whatever she's going to say, I'm not going to say, are you kidding me? He goes right. If he would have gone right into pillar three and like, Hey, how's your day? Like, help me, tell me more. And if, that, and if she would have said, man, I had somebody pass away. I'm looking for pictures. Oh, what a difference that would have made. Yep. You know? And so I, so I feel like that pillar three is a hard one as well, especially from a guy fix it mentality, because we often want to say, well, let me just tell you what to do real quick, but then I want to hear what you say, but I can fix this really quick. You don't even understand. So I feel like that one can be a challenge too. Cause I mean, by nature, I think we're, we guys, maybe we have a little bit harder time to sit with the, the, the empathy 
because when our wife maybe expresses things, then that's where we feel like discomfort and we may feel like she's attacking my fragile ego and I must defend it, you know? Sure. And so, so anyway, so I guess when you said, are there any ones in particular, I just basically <laughs> made all four. You know? Well, they are all important. That's the thing. And as you're yeah. describing all of this, I, the first one that you'd mentioned pillar, pillar one being the fact that you were assuming good intentions. Like I, I agree. I think that is, I think everything flows from the meaning that we give it because if the meaning yeah. is my son's lazy, my husband's selfish, my wife is, yeah. you know, never satisfied with what I do everything. Cause it's going to be so hard for me to ask questions about, Hey, when this happened earlier today, or when you came home, and you didn't talk to me, or when you're on your phone and you didn't even acknowledge that I was there, yeah. or when I bring up my concerns, you just kind of stonewall. It's so hard to ask questions when we are taking it personally and it feels very much like I don't matter to this person. It's so hard to get out of that. And so I like that that's like, that's the way out though. Like it is asking questions. It is better understanding that. But I think everything does flow from that meaning because if we that's can see it differently, everything, I think this framework helps people to know what to do then. Like, how do you have a conversation? You follow these steps and in order to set you up for success, being able to first see it in a different way is so critical. And so I think a lot of times I'll facilitate conversations with couples at that first step. Like before we go on and try to solve the issue, like what was the initial trigger that sparked this feeling of not being important to them? I'd like okay. to stay there and talk through, okay, when you saw him turning away or you you didn't get a hug when you got yeah. home or like there was something that happened that sent the message, I don't matter. So let's go right back there and then unpack and see like what was actually happening because then you can change the meaning. And now being on the same page, you can then work through the rest of those pillars together. Well, I like about this, Sam, is um, honestly, because I feel like, you know, thank you for validating me. And I feel like that because that assuming good intentions, you, you, you're validating too, that I feel like, okay, we do have to go back and look at what is the judgment that you made with the observation of their behavior. And then, and then honestly, and I, and I know, I know, cause you do a lot of couple stuff too, that we can make this sound really clear. And that's why I feel like people will hear a four pillar podcast. I've got a lot of them. And then they're saying, man, we're trying them. We love them, but why does it not work? And it's, well, mm -hmm. it's because it's difficult. So even if I have something saying, okay, let me like what you're saying. Okay. Tell me what meaning you made of, yeah, of him turning away. And then if she starts to share it, I, that's where I, I feel like I will just keep being a, Hey, hold on. You have to assume good intentions. You can't tell her she's wrong, you know, because I feel like even when somebody has the tools, they still feel like, well, yeah, but let me just explain real quick. Right. Like, she, that isn't what I was doing. And, and I'm saying that is why right now the goal is to be heard. But then yes. I feel like one of the things and um, a, a friend of mine, um, Preston Pugmire, he and I worked on this marriage course that I have. And we worked for it a long time because I, I jokingly just let him beat beat me up on all these things. And one of them, what I love where he talked about here. Was he said, but in, in a sense, when when maybe let's say in this example, the wife says, but but this is what he did. This is what meaning I make. And I love it. Preston said, it's almost like, okay, she just cut me and I'm bleeding. And you're telling me, Tony, to, yeah, hold on. Like, we'll patch that up in a bit. And he's like, but I feel like I'm bleeding out. So mm -hmm. I need to put, I need to address this right now. And I love that analogy because literally, yeah, I realized, oh, I am saying, you know, yeah, we're doing it. But if we, if you got to address the, the cut she made really quick. Now she's going to eventually learn that, okay, I don't even want to talk like I, cause I don't, why am I even trying? So then I'm saying you're, you bet I'm acknowledging you just got cut. You know, your ego just got cut and that would be hard. And that's going to take some real, you know, big work to sit with that discomfort 
but but there's a there's a, a guy named Terrence McKenna that has this quote where he says, but but oftentimes like things in life, it's it's as if we're jumping out into this great abyss, but then finding out there's a feather bed. That's where mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like when we don't know what to, we don't have tools, and we don't even know that we don't have tools, and now we're handed a tool, and we're still gonna yeah, but the tool for quite a while. But then eventually when we can trust that, oh, I'll be able to address my cut in a minute, but man, I want to hear what her experience is. Times when I really understand that where she's coming from and that does sound hard and I actually do sit with the discomfort and I and I have empathy. Then when she's telling me about your cut, sometimes I'm like, I'm good. Like, no, I can understand why. Yes. I mean, I'll, I'll take care of this one myself. Yes. And then and then I kind of joke sometimes the, the end result almost becomes the, you know, the I'm air quoting fight is... Now where he's saying, no, honestly, I'm good. And she's like, no, I want to hear you now. And he's like, no, I was, I was being emotionally mature. Like, I'm cool, you know? Yes. And then I love, that's where I, you know, I sit back like a proud dad almost and say, oh, you know, yeah. They're getting it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think all these things are such, again, I, I, uh, actually before I transition out, cause I, I want to give you a chance to, I, I want people to find out more about the work that you do and where they can find I resources. I, I didn't even notice the time. And I feel, I realized I can, you know, I can open my door we can in here and let's just like do this stuff in real time. Right. You yeah, know? seriously. No. And yeah, I wish I, we definitely have to schedule some follow-ups. Cause I think there's just so yes. many pieces to this that we can kind of get even deeper with it. Yeah. The, the last thought that I had, and then I'd love to have you share any final thoughts and where we can find you is it can be so helpful, at least in the beginning to have these conversations outside of the moment so that you can much more easily reflect on very common scenarios of, hey, when this happens, this always triggers a fight. So outside of that moment, after you're listening to the podcast, you can even go back and say, hey, I want to better understand what happens when we get stuck in this specific moment. This is how I take it. When I see this thing happen or when you respond in this way, this is how I take it. What's actually happening? It's way easier to do that when you're not actually charged so it could be useful to go back and reflect on what are some really common sticking points so you can apply this without the high energy to then be able to make sense of it differently so that when you revisit the moment, you have a new way of looking at it. So I don't know if you had any thoughts yeah. on that. Oh, I mean, honestly, goodness, like uh, so many, because um, first of all, I'm a horrible promoter. So I'm going to say that I do have a marriage course and I'm revamping it. So um, you know, go follow me at TonyRobay.com and you'll find out more. And I've got a couple of podcasts and I've got... And I've got a social media team now that's doing a bunch of stuff with my Instagram and I'm doing reels and I'm doing whatever. And I'm trying to be more engaged and I'm really enjoying that. Good. So so just go go to TonyRobay.com and I promise like people get a bunch of info and I've got a, 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 a hour and a half workshop where I talk about a lot of this stuff that's 19 bucks and that's on there and that's not my big marriage course, but I think that could help. But the reason why I dig what you just said, Sam, is I know people come in a lot of times and they do, they say, you know, I really don't want to go with the past. I mean, I really don't. So I'm willing to to work and move forward. And I, and I understand that, but you just nailed something so big that I don't talk about enough that when you have this framework, it is easier to go back and apply it in hindsight, because if we, cause now, and I'm doing it in my chair where, you know, looking at it in the context now of, Oh, check out what I did back in that moment and which pillar did I break and what meaning did I assign? It is a lot easier to go back and look at the, maybe the, and I call them in the course, uh, higher charge topics. Um, when you can go and, and you can go back to something when you get out of your amygdala and now put the framework over it. And then I, and I, so often uh, this goes back to the stuff we talked about when you were on my podcast about betrayal, where, you know, I'm really intentionally taking that can of disclosure and all these other things. And I'm kicking it so far down the road intentionally 
And then I'm, I'm going huge on let's learn four pillars. Let's learn how to communicate. And, and then let's start with low charge sticks. And we really are going to four pillar a Taco Bell drive through experience. I mean, we really are. And we're going to sure. four pillar a, a, a TV show. And we're going to four pillar a tell me what you think about it and stuff. Because people get it even, even when they get a new tool, they want to run right to what I call my high charge topic, which yes. is sex, religion, politics, finances, and parenting. Yep. And so, and if we can get this framework down and trust it and feel solid with it, I really feel like the shift is that by the time now we're ready to address the the real like betrayal and some of those, I am noticing time and time again that it's not that the couple says, eh, it doesn't matter, but they realize, oh, we did not know how to communicate. And it's not excusing the behavior, but because, but it's saying, okay, it, the conversation is going to be so much more, uh, it's going to be so much more productive now with this new framework than it would have been when we first came in and we're supposed to just now just just start talking and express things and try to answer all the questions. And because at that point, we're trying to make sense of something we don't even know. We don't even make, we're trying to make sense of things that don't make sense. Right. And I'm trying to give my spouse answers to, to calm her amygdala, but that just leads her to have more questions. And all of a sudden I'm in my amygdala and I don't know. So that's where I'm like, man, let's, let's work on these pillars. Let's establish a framework and a foundation of communication. And then let's look at it, you know, monthly or whatever that looks like. And then I have couples Almost we do a ceremonious disclosure where then we don't really go into the details because they already understand each other now and how they didn't communicate well and where things got off and which pillars were being broken and what meanings they made of things that didn't make sense. And then at that point, it feels like, whoo, okay, what were we expecting? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Donnie, this has been such a pleasure to have you on. Honestly, like you're such a wealth of knowledge, so articulate, can really explain these concepts that are not easy. It's like, this is not an easy process. And I appreciate that you can go into depth, into the depth, into detail, describing this with examples, helping people understand that it's possible to get to the kind of relationship that you want. It's just following these steps and getting the practice that you need. Cause of course it's going to go off the rails does for everybody, yeah. but being yeah. committed to, I'm willing to come back and keep trying and just using this process to ultimately create the kind of relationship that we want. So thank you so much for joining me. I'd love, honestly, I'd like to yeah get together again. Oh yeah. You're yeah. Now you, you come back online. We'll just do a home and away. We'll do it. Okay. Over again. Okay. That's perfect. And I'll post in the show notes where people can find you. I'm curious. I'd love to watch more of these reels. Cause I think it's like fascinating. Here's little tidbits and things you can apply. That's great. Yeah. I'll have to check yeah, those I've got out a whole too. series on, on things that the narcissist will not say. That one's a fun one. And I, I actually got that. real marriage. So love it. All right. Thank you, Tony. Dan, Appreciate you so being much. here. Wait, before you go, I'm offering free access for my podcast listeners to a course I created. So make sure you go to coupleshealing.org so you can get some tools to start the healing process individually and in your relationship. Or if you want even more support and you'd like to work with me directly, you can contact me with the info that's on that website as well. I'm excited for you to make progress on your journey.